Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. I want to thank Pastor Spencer for being willing to minister last Sunday in my absence. Great job, and I so appreciated his faithfulness as he shared God's Word in my absence last Lord's Day. Pastor Spencer mentioned that uh, one Sunday he came and Sharon was concerned that he might just go out on the platform. I did that once. I was in college, and my home church in Altoona, Iowa at the time was giving opportunities for college kids to preach during the morning worship, and there were actually a couple of services that... uh, took place, and as I recall it, it was during finals week. And I worked at UPS during those days and had just been burning the candle at both ends. And Sunday morning, I got up and got ready to preach and felt just a little dizzy and said, excuse me. And the next thing I knew, I was waking up in the pastor's study. And so they had moved me from the platform to the pastor's study and I don't know what they did, but anyway, it happened. So, Pastor Spencer, thank you. Thank you so very, very much. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus was a letter to beloved saints. Now, Paul visited Ephesus during his second missionary journey. And here is a map that shows his journey beginning down here in Jerusalem and up and around to Athens when he finally got to Ephesus. Now you can read about this journey in Acts chapter 15 through Acts chapter 20 and it began with Paul and Barnabas taking separate ways. John Mark not going with Paul and Barnabas and you remember all about that. And Paul took Silas with him and took Timothy with him and went on this journey. Now Ephesus is significant because of what happened. As you read about Paul's time in Ephesus, you get into Acts chapter, what is it? Acts chapter 18. And there was a guy there by the name of Apollos. And Apollos was new to the faith, and he knew about John's baptism, but he was one who could discern the scriptures. And when Paul got there, Apollos was teaching the truth of the word of God, and ministry was beginning. As you move into Acts chapter 19, you discover that Paul there meets with the believers. And he asks them, have you heard about the Holy Spirit yet? Have you received what God promised to send you through his son Jesus Christ? He said, no, we don't even know about the Holy Spirit. And it was in Acts chapter 19 with a mixture of Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus that the believers spoke in tongues and confirmed the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the third time in Acts that the Holy Spirit's ministry was validated by speaking in tongues. Once in Acts chapter 2, once in Acts chapter 10, and here in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus. Now I just want to stop right here and say that each of those instances when the Holy Spirit was identified and validated in tongues... It was known languages because these were individuals who had come from all nations and were gathered there and God supernaturally allowed them to hear the message, the glossia, 
in their own native tongue. When we move into 1 Corinthians, it has become something else. But here in the book of Acts, it's known languages. We move into Acts chapter 20, and we find that Paul is now defending his ministry. And Paul has called the elders of the churches together so that he might help them recognize what they are to do in ministry. And there is a significant verse in Acts chapter 20 that helps us understand what that ministry is. And Paul says to the leaders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock to care for the church of God which was obtained by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know why it's so important that we understand the value of what we have together here at Calvary Baptist? It's important because we are gathered together because God sent his son to die for us and to shed his precious blood in payment for our sins. We're not gathered here simply because we're nice people. Now, a lot of nice people here. We're not gathered here simply because we're good-looking. There's a few less good-looking people than there are nice people. Just saying. But we are gathered here because God sent His Son to die for us. And we have the privilege of being part of the family of God because we have received Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Never get over the fact that God paid the ultimate price for you as Jesus shed his blood in payment for our sins. Amen? And Paul reminds them of that ministry and the responsibility that leadership has within the church to care for the church of God. Sometimes Connie doesn't like it when I respond to certain questions. And one of the questions that Connie doesn't like for me to respond to the way I respond is this. How's your church doing? We get in situations where we are with other pastors and... and uh, they, they ask that question, how's your church doing? The response that Connie doesn't like is this. I say, you know it's not my church. Now, I understand what they're saying, and I understand the connection, and I understand what they're after. But I want you to know it's not my church. It's the church of God. Amen? It's not the deacon's church either. It's the church of God. And God has only privileged me and other leadership people to serve him through this local assembly of believers. And we cannot forget that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. And this body of believers belongs to God. Amen? All of that came out in his ministry, in Paul's ministry, to the church at Ephesus. Now, Paul was there for some two years. The whole missionary journey took about three years, and Paul spent two of it in, in Ephesus. And as he was there, he healed and he cast out demons. 
and I like this, the word of God increased. The word of God increased. Almost as a side note, Paul later sent Timothy to pastor this church. And so we connect Paul's ministry to a church that he loved and that he sent his son in the faith to pastor. Now the epistle that we have in front of us, and this is all introduction stuff, was being written some 10 years later. Paul hasn't been back to Ephesus for 10 years. He is now in a Roman prison. He will be shortly released to go and and minister to others. But he is writing to them as part of the faith and giving to them a foundation that is so important if they are going to live out their faith. Are you in Ephesians chapter 1? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Wouldn't it be great if Paul could write that to Calvary Baptist in Battle Creek? To the saints who are in Battle Creek and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace, peace be to you. Now he talks about God's blessings and he talks about how they've been called and he talks about how they are secure in the faith. And then he gets down to verse 15. Look with me, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, did you identify the three qualities that Paul says are characteristics of this church? Verse 15, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good quality, isn't it? It's that common bond in Christ because they trusted in God's gift of his son and were born again into the family of God. And not only did he identify their faith, he identified their love toward all the saints. That's pretty good, isn't it? 
Ten years later, Paul is looking bad. He's had reports from Ephesus. He knows what's going on in the church. And he writes them and he says, I heard of your faith and I heard of your love. Good stuff, folks. Well done. But I think it then interesting that in verse 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And what is he remembering in prayers? Jump down to verse 18. Having your eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul is praying that these believers at Ephesus would not only live out their faith, would not only be identified by their love, but they would understand and recognize the hope that is in them. You know, it's the hope that is in us that keeps us going. It's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that gives us stability in this life. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you this quote from Gene Getz. I want to give it to you again. A mature body of Christ-like believers reflects hope. They know with certainty that they will be sustained during the trials of daily living and that they will someday be delivered from this world. A mature body of Christ-like believers have hope. And Paul prayed that the believers at Ephesus would be identified by their hope. Now, how was that to be accomplished? What were the specifics of Paul's prayer? How were they to live out their hope in the Lord? Paul gave to them four benefits of living a life of hope. The first benefit is this. Hope helps us know God better. Hope helps us know God better. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, verse 18, that ye may know. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. That's the hope, isn't it? The power of the resurrection? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection being made conformable unto his death. A mature body of Christ-like believers lives in a current environment of hope. Why? Because hope helps us know God better. That their hearts would be enlightened to know. You ever have a heavy heart? You know the antidote for a heavy heart? Hope. You ever struggle with the stuff of life? You know the antidote for your struggle with the stuff of life? Hope. And that light at the end of the tunnel, right? You hope it's not a headlight of an oncoming train. But that is our hope. Our hope to know God better. In chapter 2, Paul identifies 
the difference between those who have hope and those who do not have hope. And I want to look at those qualities very, very quickly this morning because I think it's important that we recognize what our hope gives to us as we know God's work in our lives. Chapter 2, verse 2. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, in the spirit that is now in work of the sons of disobedience, those without hope are sons of disobedience because they are dead in their trespasses and sins. Verse 1. But look with me over at verse 5. Even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he's made us alive together with Christ. You see the difference? Those who are without hope are dead. Those who have hope are alive in Christ. Now, do you want to be a dead rock or do you want to be a living stone? Encouraged because of what God has given to us. Through his son. Verse 3. Paul identifies those who once lived in the passions of their flesh, carrying out the desires of their body. Jump over to verse 6. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Gratifying the flesh, raised up with Jesus Christ. Again in verse 3, objects of wrath. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But instead of being an object of wrath, look with me at verse 7. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Objects of grace. Verse 12, Paul says that those who are without Christ are separated from Christ. And in verse 14, we are told that we are made one with him. In verse 12, those who are without Christ are alienated, excluded. And according to verse 19, we are members of the household of God. Paul tells us that in verse 12, those without Christ are without hope. And in verse 22, we are being built a dwelling place by God the Spirit. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. Sing it with me, will you please? The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. You see that which is the foundation for our hope? 
is understanding who God is and what he has accomplished in our lives. And hope helps us know God that much better. Oh, be hopeful today. And recognize God's faithfulness to meet every need that you have. Because it is that faithfulness that gives us hope. But not only does hope help us know God better, hope also opens us up to the riches of our God. Back to chapter 1, please. The last part of verse 18 says, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Have you thought about everything that God has given to you? Have you thought about all that we have because God loved us? Have you thought about the riches and the glorious wonder of being a child of God? I married up. Thank you, Jess. Glad it came from you rather than Connie. But Connie has added so much to my life. It's beyond description. But I want you to think about all of the blessing and benefit that God has added to your life when you became one of his children. You see, hope opens up the riches of our God and we recognize what he has done and the glorious inheritance that is ours because of what God wants to give to us. Neither Connie nor I are going to get rich off any inheritance that we might receive. It's okay. I think both of our parents had this bumper sticker. If there's anything at the if there's anything that's left at the end, it's because we miscalculated. But the glorious inheritance we have in Jesus Christ. Glory! May, may I share some of it with you? Turn to chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3. It is chapter 1. Okay, good. I did remember. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Part of our glorious inheritance is that we have been chosen in him. I hated to be on the playground. When some of my classmates were picking teams. Because I was never one of the first ones chosen. You been there? That sinking feeling as the numbers diminish and you continue to stand there waiting for someone to pick you. Exactly. But aren't you thankful that God picked you? He chose you. 
He chose you from the foundation of the earth. Now, we're not going to get into predestination and election, all that kind of stuff this morning. But simply know that God wanted you to be his child. And he called you to himself. And he adopted you. Romans chapter 8. What a glorious inheritance in that we have been chosen in him. He adopted us as sons and daughters, verse 5. Sons through Jesus Christ. Known a number of folks who have adopted kids into their family. I think it's a great thing. And I learned that one of the special days that is celebrated in those families is Gotcha Day. Some of you are going to like that. Yeah, I know what that is. Gotcha Day is the day on which the papers were finalized and they became part of the family and the family gotcha. Got you into their home. You remember your gotcha day when you were born again into the family of God and he adopted you isn't that cool? On Wednesday nights, we are looking at knowing why we believe, and one of the things that we're doing to help us understand these truths is we are asking people to give their personal testimonies about how they came to know Christ as, as their very own Savior. Last Wednesday night, Al Carey gave his. And he started his testimony by saying, there were a number of things in my life that were not in my control. One, I was born in America. I was born into a godly family. Those things were not in his control. And yet God in his providence did that. And now Al went on to, to share how he came to know Christ as personal Savior. He shared with us his gotcha day. Adopted into the, the family. Look down at verse 7, will you please? We have redemption through his blood. <laughs> Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the... Redeemed through his infinite mercy... His child and forever I am. But not only do we have redemption through his blood, we have the forgiveness of sins. Our sins have been forgiven. Aren't you thankful he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins? Aren't you thankful you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian? All of us would fail. Told someone this morning, we're not a perfect church. But we have a perfect Heavenly Father to whom we're committed. We have a perfect word which we try to live out in our lives to the best of our ability. And we have a wonderful fellowship. We have the forgiveness of sins. Verse 9 says that He makes known His will to us. And sometimes it's a mystery of His will. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a very precious passage of Scripture to me. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. I don't know about you, but there are things in life that I just don't understand. There are things about life I just don't get. But even when I don't get it, I can still trust in the Lord with all my heart, and I can acknowledge Him in all of my ways, because God does. God does get it. And making known His will is part of the glorious inheritance we have in Christ. Not only do we know His will, according to verse 9, we also know His purpose. Purpose which He set forth in Christ. Verse 13 talks about the word of truth. We heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. It also talks about being sealed by the Holy Spirit and the guarantee inheritance that we have in Christ. You see, our hope, our hope opens up all of the riches of God and the glorious inheritance we have in Christ. But not only a glorious inheritance, we also have some guiding principles that God has given to us. Now we're going to go to chapter 3. Very quickly this morning, chapter 3. Verse 16. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. A week ago, I was flat on my back in bed. Except when I had to get up and go to this little room. Or I spent some time on my knees, and that's more information than you guys wanted to have this morning. That's a lot like life, isn't it? There are times we're just flat on our backs. Nothing's going the way we want it to go, and it's just, just tough. But Uri, even during that time, he strengthens us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he strengthens our inner being where we need it the most. Verse 17 we're rooted and grounded in love. Do you see it there? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, nourished, stable. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? No matter what's going on, there is absolutely nothing that will take you away from God's love. There were times that my kids wondered whether or not I loved them. In fact, I had my kids tell me one time, you don't love me. Well, it was not a real pleasant time in their lives because there were some lifelong lessons that they needed to learn. 
And they weren't going to learn them by me patting them on the head saying you did a good job. You know, sometimes God has to do that to us too. And aren't you thankful for that kind of faithful love? Because how else would I learn those lifelong lessons? And yet, I'm still rooted and grounded in His love. Verse 18. That I may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth height of who God is. In verse 19, filled with the fullness of God. <laughs> if I can just get fullness of God, that's all I need. In the wintertime, I try not to let my gas tank get below half a tank. Just me. And so I spend a lot of time filling up my tank. But I am so thankful that I can always be filled with the fullness of my God. Amen? That's our hope. That's our hope. Now at the end of chapter 3, Paul does something that we're going to do this morning. He pronounces the benediction. Now, you know he's only halfway through his message to the believers at Ephesus. And Paul, as many times he does when he writes, the first three chapters, there are six chapters in Ephesians, first three chapters are doctrinal, the last three chapters are practical. And so at the end of this doctrinal statement, Paul writes this, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and all God's people said, Amen. Be encouraged. Hope. Christ like maturity is lived out in our hope.